Welcome back to another Buckeye Talk podcast. Doug Maurice, along with Ari Wasserman and Bill Landis. We are your Cleveland.com Ohio State coverage team, and the sound is going to be better. If you bailed on us last week when we tried to do this podcast in Bill's apartment uh, with a fan in the room, <laughs> stick around. We're back in the Ari Wasserman podcast home. Oasis, Ari said. Ari, we're glad to be back. Thanks for uh, letting us back in. I went and got Coke Zero for everybody, and they brought their own drinks, so whatever. Here's the thing. Just so my apartment doesn't get completely disparaged, the acoustics aren't great. It is around the corner from a Dairy Queen. That's true, and that is a shout-out to Dairy Queen. Your (laughs) blizzards are delicious. We would welcome you as a sponsor of the Buckeye Talk podcast. This is going to be a really interesting one. We have literally saved this topic for months because we've been talking about this among ourselves Um, And I feel like we've pushed this a little bit on the Ohio State beat in bringing this topic up because they are in a roster crunch. The Ohio State Buckeyes have too many good players. The end. That's the way we're hooking the the hardcore Buckeye fans. Let's talk about why this team is so good. They have too many good players. They are messing up this, this recruiting class. The 2017 recruiting class is in danger because they have a lot of great recruits and they might not be able to get as many as they want. They may end up having some guys who are on the current roster who won't be here next year one way or another because they have so few seniors on this team. This is going to be a little dense, but I think it's really interesting. Ari, this is like the crunchiest that you've seen this roster, right, in terms of trying to squeeze a recruiting class into a roster that doesn't have the space. Especially when you look at the past, you you see Ohio State's like, well, we can take 25, and that's good. Ohio State is already at 16 commits in the 2017 class and is 10 over the scholarship limit already. The hypothetical scholarship limit, six seniors, 16 commits. That means 10 extra scholarships. They're already over it. At 16, and they might take 22 or 23, depending on how things work out. So they could be 15 over the scholarship limit going into next year, and that's a major, major crunch, one that we haven't seen at Ohio State in my time on the beat. And now one thing, back in the day, there would be Jim Trestle recruiting classes that were 19 guys. You know, they they would have years where they were bigger, and then they would have years when they were smaller, just because that's how it works sometimes. It's just math. You have 85 scholarships for your team. If you take 25 guys a year, 25 times 4 is not 85. So if you take 25 guys a year, you're 15 over. That's 100 spots. So you have to lose 15 guys naturally, guys who leave early for the draft, guys who transfer, guys who get hurt and have to give up football. It usually does happen naturally, but this is an extreme circumstance. I almost feel like you should listen to this podcast like while you're on the treadmill or driving in your car like with a pen and paper and write this down. Now, we have supplemental stuff you can read at cleveland.com slash OSU explaining all this, but, but this is going to be math-heavy because, Bill, we're talking about, already spelled it out a little bit, there are 85 scholarships right now, six seniors – Right? Six seniors on the current roster. And who are they, by the way? Do we know that? We do. Um, yeah. I'll listen up. I have them here. Um, they are. Apologies for your Craig Feta, Joe Berger, who are two walk ons who were awarded scholarships, uh, Pat Elfline, 
Cam Johnson, the punter, Corey Smith, the wide receiver, and Dontre Wilson, the H-back. That's f- that's four natural scholarship players who were recruited here as scholarship guys and two other guys who have been handed scholarships. So here we start the math. So the natural attrition, they're at 85. They're going to lose six for sure. That's 79. Now, the next group of guys, Bill, is the group of guys that could turn pro early. We know last year basically everybody who could leave did leave with the exception of Pat Elfline. Who are the guys that we think not should, (laughs) not will, but could leave early? Well, some of these are going to sound crazy because the guys who left early, like, had a body of work that when they left early, maybe with the exception of, like, Jalen Marshall, you thought, that makes sense. Um, The list I'm about to name, guys on this list I'm about to name, I don't think there's too many of that kind of player on here. Uh, We have Marcus Ball, tight end. JT Barrett, quarterback, who does have that body of work and could add to it this season as a starter. Um, Garyon Conley is another guy in that same realm who will be a second year as a starter this season. Um, Tyquan Lewis, who was a sack leader last year. Um, whether or not we, that was the product of lining up next to Joey Bosa, we don't know. We'll find that out. Rayquan McMillan is a real dude, one of the best linebackers in the country. Um, I would be shocked if he doesn't leave. Uh, Billy Price, offensive lineman, uh, could leave. And is that it? That's all of them. Curtis, Curtis Samuel, do we have him on Not, that list? Yeah, Curtis Samuel. And you also said Billy Price was an open. He said Billy Price. Oh, I said did? Billy Price. Sam Hubbard. Sam Hubbard is the other did one. Did you think Dante Booker was another one? I mean, he's, there's a bunch of guys like Dante Booker. He can say, well, maybe. It's like, all fake. Like, Chris Worley could go. Right. But he's not on that list right now because he's not even the starter yet. And you said JT? I did say JT, yeah. Okay. I think that's eight. Let's run through this again. Raekwon McMillan is gone. Yes. I mean, we can pl- I mean he's going to be a first-round pick. Um, he's the leader of the defense. He's He sort of started or played a lot, at least, as a true freshman. Started last year with second-team All-Big Ten. He's definitely gone. And then you have defensive end Tyquan Lewis, offensive lineman Billy Price, cornerback Garyon Conley, quarterback JT Barrett, H-back running back receiver Curtis Samuel, defensive end Sam Hubbard, Tight end Marcus Baugh. That's eight more, okay? Wait, did... See, this math is hard. Ari's, Ari's hesitating. Bill, I think you forgot one. Who did I forget? I'm sorry. Baugh, McMillan, Tyquan Lewis, Garyon Conley, Billy Price, JT Barrett, Curtis Samuel, Sam Hubbard, and I don't know. Do we count Dante Booker? No. I mean, like, I, I think we... we... How can Which you tell a guy who's ever played? You're right. You're that, right. I mean, that's part yeah. of the discussion is... Curtis Samuel's paid ten times more than Dante Booker does. Can we really be in a situation where in discussing roster management and the future of this team that we are pondering the idea of whether guys who have never started and are going to be first-year starters this year might turn pro based off one year of starting? I mean, that's... We're, we're talking about Dante Booker. I don't think any of us think he's going to go, but like Sam Hubbard would be in that spot. Well, I saw right? I, I did uh, I did some 2017 mock draft stuff like right after the 2016 draft ended, and people thought that was crazy, but now it's kind of relevant. Uh, there was, and I forget who made the mock draft. There was a mock draft that had Sam Hubbard as a late first round pick. Potential matters. He's tall and he's athletic. 
and people like to compare him to Joey Bosa. So I guess it's possible. Like, let's do quick math. Everyone grab their pen. We were at 85. We had six seniors. That's 79. Mm-hmm. We're now talking about these eight guys. Seven. Eight. I have a list. Oh, I thought that eight, but when no. I irresponsibly put Dante Booker in there, that that made we're it doing eight. now we're I'm, doing live math. I'm sorry, we're guys. Doing live, I'm not sure live math is good radio. It's crazy. Um, Oh, okay, eight. All right, I'm an idiot. That's fine. Move on. McMillan, Lewis, Price, Conley, Barrett, Samuel, Hubbard, Baugh. Marcus Baugh's never started. Um, that puts you at 71. That's 71, which is 14 under. Okay? Mm-hmm. They have 16 recruits right now. And that's if all seven of those guys go. Eight. 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 <laughs> that's if all eight go, and they're not all eight going to. I don't know. Now, we're counting on a lot to happen for them to be even. They're still over if everything falls their way. So we're, we're breaking this equation into categories. So, again, we're starting with 85. This first group of six is, is seniors, okay? Now the second group is guys who might turn pro. So we're, we're dealing with this eight number, but, again, that's a maximum thing. And I think we're even talking about some of these guys only because Jalen Marshall left last year. I think that was like an eye-opener for a lot of people. Um, and he went undrafted. Now, he's doing well in New York Jets camp. But are we seriously talking about a world now at Ohio State where if you're a talented guy who's played some but not that much and you think you might be a fifth-round pick, you're going to leave? And it's not that you're even – you've been here four years and you redshirted and it wasn't your fault. I mean, Jalen Marshall – was here three years. He was a redshirt sophomore. He only played two years. Are we in that realm now? Do you think we are re- have realistically crossed that line, Bill, where we're going to see this on a yearly basis where, oh, yeah, that guy, he, he was here for three years and played a year and a half, and he might be a fifth-round pick. He's gone. I mean, I think Ohio State would hope, not, hope we're not in that world. We were talking about this before we started recording the podcast. Like, is that a, is that a good sales pitch? come here, don't play, possibly be a fifth-round pick. Like, Jalen Marshall, and he had his reasons for leaving, but, I I mean, if he would have stayed another year, who knows what would have happened. He could have got drafted and and fairly high. Um, I don't think you want to be in that position where you're hoping – you're a very talented player, and at the end of your career, you're hoping you might fall into the back end of the draft. Um, I I don't – and it seems like the way that the roster is trending that – I don't know. You don't want to be in that position, but you kind of have to be in that position. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself in a situation like we're talking about right now. And, and there are different circumstances. You know, Tyus Powell went pro with a year of eligibility left and went undrafted. But he was a guy who had redshirted, was here four years, graduated, won a national championship, left with his class. I thought that made sense. You know, Cardale Jones wasn't going to come back for another year. Um, Eli Apple, I think some of us at the time were like, well, I don't know. Eli Apple, he did the 10th pick in the draft. Um <laughs> Do you, are you you got to know some of these guys? Some of these guys who just left, you knew pretty well from recruiting, and a lot of these guys who are going to face these decisions, you know from recruiting. Does this make sense to you that these guys would look at this and and say, "Yeah, maybe I'm not a first round pick, maybe I'm not a second round pick, but I'm done here and I'm gone"? Well, I think that we're using Jalen Marshall as the example right now. And I think Jalen Marshall made a very interesting non-popular decision. That's not really typical for most people in his position. So to say that that's a trend. So right now 
is probably not the right thing to do, but Ohio State has put itself in a position where they almost have to expect that to become a trend for them to make the numbers work. So that's the interesting situation. I don't think that Jalen Marshall's decision was popular, from what I understand, in the Ohio State football building. I don't know that they wanted him to leave. I think they wanted him back on this roster. They needed him. So, uh, But now they might need some of these guys to go the way that Jalen did it for a necessity. So um, I think the situations have changed drastically between what Jalen Marshall had to do last year for Ohio State scholarship numbers to work and where they are right now. So I think it's kind of two different situations. But I think if Curtis Samuel has another year, uh, for example, like the win that he had last year, or maybe even one that was as productive as Jalen left, it'd be the same exact situation, and Ohio State might need that. But they also might need Curtis Samuel, too. Let's run through these eight guys while we're dealing with this part of the equation. And we'll do two things. We'll do whether we think they will perform at the level that would put them in a spot to be a high pick. And I don't think you have to be a first-round pick to go. Von Bell went early was a second-round pick. You know, I think when he went, maybe he certainly thought he had a chance to be a first-round pick. He wasn't. I don't think Von Bell made a bad decision. I don't think Von Bell, uh, after starting for two years here, needed to come back to prove, okay, I could be higher than a mid-second-round pick. Maybe I can squeeze into the back of the first round. So I'll, I'll say the guys, you tell me whether you would expect, your guess right now is that they will play at a level that could put them in consideration to go in the top three rounds if they chose to go, okay? That's our threshold. They had 10 guys in the first three rounds last year, which set a record. I think it's hard to argue. It's hard to argue with any of this. It's personal decisions for these guys. You have a limited shelf life as a football player. You're putting your brain at risk every day. If you want to go put your brain at risk for money, instead of putting your brain at risk for free, go. It's your body, it's your brain, and it's your life. And I don't think it's our job to sit here and tell you you made the wrong decision. That's not really what we're talking about. We're talking about numbers and equations and roster management. Raekwon McMillan. Yes. Yes. Tyquan Lewis, the defensive end. No. I think he could. I think he could. I said maybe. Billy Price. say yes or no. This is a podcast. Yes or no. No maybes. Okay. I didn't say maybe. I said I think he could. That's a yes. That's affirmative. Okay. All right. You're no and you're yes, make a maybe. Uh, Billy Price on the offensive line. No. No. Gary on Connolly at corner. Yes. JT Barrett at quarterback. No. No. Sam Hubbard, defensive end. Yes. Yes. Curtis Samuel at H-back. No. No. Marcus Bott, tight end. No. no. All right, so that's Raquan McMillan, Gary on Connolly, and Sam Hubbard that we think would jump into that category of, of maybe being a top three-round pick. And then Tyquan Lewis, I think, is probably on the edge. Um, that's out of eight. That's three and a half out of eight. Um, JT Barrett, we could do a whole podcast on JT Barrett and his future. I mean, you know, I, I don't think he's a guaranteed thing. I've, I've written things comparing him to Russell Wilson. I mean, that, that's what you do. You find a short quarterback who's a good leader, and you compare him to a guy who won a Super Bowl. That's how we operate. Um, <laughs> sort of a ridiculous thing to do. He does not have – you watch what Cardale Jones did in his first preseason game with the Bills. Um, JT Barrett's not going to do that. He might do other things better. He's not going to rocket that ball around an NFL field the way Cardale Jones does. So that's going to be an interesting decision for him. I think he's more of a college quarterback than an NFL quarterback. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I think it's impossible to forecast what he's going to do. Yeah. Um, but so – 
we're, we're saying what they should. And now, what we're trying to figure out here is math. We're trying to figure out, in our opinion, of these eight, how many will, will be leaving to clear roster spots. So now let's do... By the way, Gary and Conley, I think, could be good. There was someone yeah. who was talking the other day that they think Gary and Conley is right next in line of the Bradley, Roby, Duran, Grant, uh, Eli Apple cornerback road to the NFL. Nervin said he was an NFL corner the other day, too, so... Yeah, that was that. That would make sense to me. Yeah, maybe he's not Eli Apple in the tenth pick in the draft, but he, Duran Grant, I think was a fourth rounder. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you, you could find it. You're a, a top time four to round go. pick. You're a stud. That's I mean, he's. That's facts. I mean, he'd be a two year star. I mean, like he he would be an established guy who's done everything he could do here if he has the kind of year we expect. Okay, now we're playing. We're making our equation. How many of these eight do we think are going to go? Okay, ready? Raekwon. Yes. Raekwon is gone. That's one. Yes. Tyquan Lewis. Yes. Gone. Yes. Billy Price. No. No. I mean, I think you look at him and he easily could be on the elf line plan. Right. You know, like that. Yeah. He would be the guy returning. He easily, he could be the center next year. You you know, if you're a guy who's played guard and then you show you can play center for a year, that helps, I think. Yeah. Um, I think I, I think I probably would go no on Billy Price, too. Uh, Gary on Conley. Gone. Gone. Curtis Samuel. I say no. No. Yeah, no. Sam Hubbard. I think he's gone. Yes. Marcus Baugh. Gone. Gone. JT Barrett. Staying. I think he's gone. Really? Yeah. All right, I'm going to tie break this on JT Barrett. We're going to get back to the math, guys. Don't worry. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I think... You know what? In the in the name of math, and the, in the name of let's assume everything goes as well as it could go for Ohio State in terms of math, in terms of making the roster decision easier to say, oh, great, JT like JT Barrett. Let a, let I mean, what's because what's the scenario where he goes? He leads them to the playoff and isn't at the Heisman ceremony, and they're like, oh, thank goodness he left. I mean, like that's not how you think. But it would ease the roster management. I'll say go just for numbers. I'm not actually betting that, but for numbers, that's six. I think the the, the other thing they consider, maybe just this isn't a large consideration, but I think was a factor when those nine guys left early last year, is that your boys go. JT Barrett's class 2013, right? That class is gone. He doesn't. I don't. I mean, there's something strange about being like the one holdover. And maybe he wouldn't want to be that. I, I but think I that think could it's quarterback positions a little bit different too because it's his team. And he would be, I mean, he'd be like the leader in that room. And I, I, I'm, I buy the leave with your guys thing, I think, is a huge factor and can be underrated by fans. Because, again, those guys don't, players don't redshirt. Players are redshirted by the team. Mm-hmm. Nobody raises their hand and says, oh, yeah, let me stay and practice for a year and not get to play, and then I have to stay in college an extra year. That sounds great. Like, that's not a plan that people want to do unless you're like an offensive lineman who knows you need to build your body up. So the fact that JT Barrett redshirted um, and would have eligibility left as opposed to guys who, who did Dontre Wilson didn't redshirt, so he can't come back next year, you know, I think that's a reasonable thing. Um, okay, so math, we are finishing the second part of the math equation. We now have six gone seniors from the first group. We know that. We now have six guys leaving early for the NFL. Okay? That puts us at 73. So that I'm is on top of 85 it. minus 6 minus 6 
is 73. And now we are getting to what else? The last portion of our program. Which is the... Injury list. Which is the injury and potentially... And then there's actually a fourth group, which we sort of need to talk about. But we're going to go injuries yeah. first. But but this... We're going to pause here um, to welcome in a, a new Buckeye Talk sponsor, um, which is Yankee Candle. Ari, we're here in your apartment, and it smells so good. What is it that you do to make keep a fresh-smelling apartment? If you want to have a wonderful apartment with nice leather furniture and hardwood floors that smells like the ocean, be sure to buy a Yankee Candle Island Cooler, brought to you by Yankee Candle. <laughs> How often do people... Come into your home and say, it smells great in here. Uh, if a thousand people came over, a thousand and one would say it smells great in here. So that's a shout out to Yankee Candle. We actually don't have a sponsorship, um, which is probably why one of us is going to be laid off in the next month or so. So if you want to save... It's going to be Doug. <laughs> if you want to save the podcast, um, first of all, buy, buy a Yankee Candle. Yeah. But also, if you're like a marketing manager for Yankee Candle, please get in touch with Bill. He's kind of the podcast guy. Are you guys trying to tell me that in addition to being a bad place to record a podcast, my apartment also smells terrible? How many Yankee candles do you have in your apartment? Uh, answer it. Zero. No, that's not true. I have a, yeah, I have a few. I'm a candle guy. But see, but now listen, because I think usually if you get a podcast sponsorship, you get free swag. Right. So we would have so many candles in our homes, gotcha. we wouldn't even know what to do with them. You could never have too many of those. Okay, so now um, back to numbers. Injured guys. Now, this has happened for Ohio State. Um, They've had other times in the past couple years where it looked like maybe it was going to get dicey on numbers. And then they they ended up sort of medically disqualifying guys um, who had been hurt and and had, you know, career-ending things. And it was guys that, you know, on one hand, I think this is a very dicey thing to talk about. On one hand... I think you respect people who are trying to keep kids, they're kids, man, trying to keep kids healthy. Like, we are, you don't want people's bodies to be ruined for life because of football. So if someone is telling you your body is not letting you play football anymore, I think it's hard to argue with that. On the other hand, there's some level of, uh, that I think you can have in the back of your mind sometimes with guys who especially players who haven't played a lot um, when there are roster situations and all of a sudden their roster spot is cleared because they can stay on scholarship at the school, get a free education, but medically they can't play anymore and now all of a sudden there's a roster spot open. So I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's what go what's in the back of my head when some of this stuff happens, but how can you ever prove it? Um, it's, it's up to the school and the kid. But the last couple of years you've seen guys like Kyle Dodson, Armani Reeves, uh, Trey Johnson, the linebacker, Donovan Munger, Kyle Berger, Devin Bogard. They've had multiple guys who have had injuries that have come along, and they're injuries that Urban Meyer would talk about along the way. I mean, they were legitimately hurt. They were legitimately not on the field while they were taking up football scholarships, and then they were, you know, they were no longer on the roster. So it's something you have to think about. You certainly would never want it to be the case that somebody who physically feels healthy as a player thinks I can play and is is sort of disagrees with the decision and maybe it's done to clear a spot. We're not saying that's what happens. We're saying 
These are all the things that go through our heads as we're looking at this roster crunch. So we're only talking about guys who have had injuries, and we're saying we don't know what's going to happen. Okay? But we're sure Ohio State has also probably has some of this stuff in their head as they're doing guys. So who are some of these guys that might maybe fit this injury category? I think there are three. I think that we agree on that. One is Dylan Thompson, who, on top of it, not that it's relevant, but just for fact, is academically ineligible. And he has had serious knee injuries for the for his first two years here. The other is Johnny Dixon, and he reports that his knees are 100% healthy, but he has been battling a surgery that he took in, that he went under in September 2014 and still wasn't completely healthy uh, at the bowl game. This past you know year in January, so it took him a year and a half, and he still wasn't completely recovered. I don't know if that's a good sign. We'll see if he can contribute this fall. But if he has another setback, he's in that list. And it isn't doesn't he have some like arthritis, arthritis. issues? In it's his arthritic knees? knees, both of them. And that's what I think Trey Johnson dealt with. That's right. always a difficult thing for a young guy. Yeah, it's like it's not just I'm not a doctor, so I don't really know what it means, but it seems more serious than recovering from a torn ACL. And the other one who might be in his own category is Stephen Collier who is a quarterback who is now recovering from a major knee injury, who is kind of buried on the depth chart and um, is recovering from that. So those are the three that we came up with, I think, unless I'm missing somebody that would fit under the category. Yeah, I think there's a a fourth one, if you want to include another guy, Kevin Feeder, who is a a redshirt freshman offensive lineman, who has just seemingly not been healthy in the year plus that he's been in Columbus. Um, we were able to watch a few early practices of this training camp, and he was in a walking boot. Um, I, I, we don't haven't been told specifically what his issue is, but I just feel like, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but the times we've been able to watch practice and seen these young offensive linemen that they bought through the program the last two years, it seems like Kevin Feeder, there's always something going on with him injury-wise that's holding him out of being able to practice. And, and again, we're not. it's a delicate thing to, to mention specific names in something like this. All we're telling you is guys who have injuries. We're telling you two facts. These are guys who have injuries or who have had their careers affected by injuries so far. That's part one. And part two is, in the past, some guys who have had injuries and had their careers affected by injuries have been taken off the roster for medical reasons and their football careers were over and that opened the roster. And that's it. That's all we're saying. We're not predicting... We're not implying. We're just giving you facts. So, back to the numbers. 85 scholarships are allowed. Six seniors. Six guys that, in our projection, we are saying could go to the NFL. We just gave you a list of four injured guys. We're just going to play with that number of four from an injury standpoint of Four roster spots. I also don't want to interrupt you, but I think this name has to be in this discussion, at least for the update. Darius Slade just tore his Achilles. I think it's a very major injury. Somebody who kind of also has been behind the scenes a little bit. This just happened. We just learned about this this week. Just a fifth person and name to have in there in the back of your head. And Malcolm Pridgen, the junior college offensive lineman they just brought in, also has an injury. He's out for three months. Again, we don't – that's just news that was just reported. Um those are two guys who haven't had injuries previously in their career. Guys get injured and come back from it all the time. I mean, right. Cam Burrows and Eric Smith and Corey Smith and 
Kurt, you, you, Mark, Marshawn Lattimore, you can run through the guys on this roster who are expected to play this year and are coming back from injury. So I think it's a good thing to bring up because, again, you know, we're going to use the number four, really without names now. We're just using the number. Let's say four roster spots become open because of injuries. Which is generous because we only listed six guys. We're being generous. We're trying to make this math work for Ohio State, right? Mm-hmm. So six plus six plus four, that's 16. How many current... 69 now. How many current commitments do they have in the 2017 well, class? Well, the other thing that... Well, they have 16 commits, but... Okay, so let's just stop for one second. So we're giving them 16 spots open. We're giving them... They have 16 verbal commitments for 2017. So we're done. 85. 85, boom. Podcast over. All right, see you guys later. Except Ohio State might sign 23. (laughs) Which means... Now, this is where it gets dicey, right? This is really the meat of what we're trying to get well, to. Well, one thing that I think that we do, before we go into the dicey part, because that's the fun part, and thanks so much for hanging out with us, and I just want to let you know again that this is brought to you by Yankee Candle. <laughs> there are, um, there's one other thing, and that is the fourth-year junior who's on the, and I don't know if we want to go into this, but there are fourth-year juniors on this team who technically are not seniors, could come back, but might not. I don't know how much we want to discuss this, but when you come to Ohio State, I think you're really only guaranteed four years on the roster. And that's a real-life thing. It might be uncomfortable to say. Um, but if you're a four-year guy and you're a fifth-year per, a person with fifth-year eligibility who hasn't contributed, I think there's a realistic opportunity that you will be walking on senior day. Whether that's your decision or the coaching staffs, we're not sure how that always works, but it does happen. And there are a few guys on the roster that also fall into that category, and I don't think we can ignore them. There's at least one that comes to mind. Is there another? I can only think of one. Um, Let I don't me know. pull up my list. I don't know who else you might have in mind. Who are the ones that you guys can think of? Cam Burrows. I mean, I think Cam Burrows is the one. He's graduated. He's battled injury issues. He's come back from them. He's been a contributor. He's in the safety fight right now to legitimately be on the two deep. I think he's a guy that the coaching staff likes a lot. I really like talking to Cambrose. I think he's like a really like smart guy who who I always like the guys who sort of have a bigger picture than just football. He's that kind of guy. Um, he has his you know when you have your degree in hand, I think that always changes things too. You know of like you know that's that's a big thing that that you came here to do and you did it. So you know um, and he's already working on some other stuff now. Um, I think in the classroom because he's already graduated. So I think that's again, it's just something that that's a thing that could be. Is Evan Lyle a redshirt? Evan Lyle is a fourth year junior. Okay, so now and now I think. So okay, I think Cam Burrows is almost like a special, different category because we know he has his degree, right? And you don't know what's going to happen, but because now we're getting into. You're here. You're healthy. But are you going to be back? Right? So we're being generous with them, and they're even. So, and that's being generous. And we don't have to play the game of isolating people on the roster. No. If you're an Ohio State fan, you can go through the roster, and I think you can go through the roster and look for anybody who's in their third. Okay. So I think we need to figure out what number we think they need to get to. They're at 16 now. What do you think they want the number to be of – Guys in the 2017 recruiting class. 
That's a very difficult question to answer because they are involved in seven or eight five-star prospects. And I don't think Ohio State's been in the business of telling five-star kids no. Maybe this year will have to be a first one for that. I think 21 or 22 was a very reasonable guess. I don't know if 23 is possible. I mean, when you start getting into 23 or 24, then you're like way over the limit. And I don't know how far Ohio State's willing to push it. But I think if we're being conservative, we're going to give them even on the 16. And we were generous with some of the spots that we gave them to get them to even. I think we can make it 21 or 22, which I think is a reasonable guess without overdoing it and still kind of addressing the same issue. So if we're dealing 21 or 22, that means we've already been pretty generous. We're looking at five guys on the current roster. Five to seven. Who we... Who appear to be healthy, who can't be here next year. So, like, is that cool? Stuff happens, or is this is this an issue, Bill? It's definitely it's not it's not cool. I think there are people who think it is cool and it's fine and it's a byproduct of college football. Um, taking a kid off scholarship, telling him his career's over, um, simply to bring in a better player when that person you're kicking off is completely healthy, I don't think is cool. Um, I think it's created, and that's that is, I think, in essence, the problem. Ohio State wants to bring in talented players, but I also think they want to save face a little bit. You don't want to be the program that's kicking kids out so that you can just bring in more and more five stars. I think that's a bad look for Ohio State. So that's sort of the predicament they're in right now, and the, the numbers crunch that we're doing. But that is, you know, that's I think everyone, all of us agree that that is not the way you operate a college football program. And I have tried to be kind of on top of the numbers thing with Urban Meyer since he got here. Um, to ask about this because I think one of the worst things that a program can do is run off kids who have been loyal members of the team. Maybe they haven't been as good on the field as you would have hoped, but if you're not in trouble academically and you can play from a health standpoint, I don't think you should be run off. Now, again, I'm not saying that's happening. I'm not saying that has happened at Ohio State at all. What we're trying to illustrate is this number situation is really interesting because it feels like at this point you're either going to have to make decisions and have things happen with guys on the roster or you have to stop recruiting. Like, is there any – like, to me, am I a recruiting expert? I am not a recruiting expert. To me, if it looks like you're at 16, then then maybe – you can't have a 22-man recruiting class. But is that the way it works? Like, could Ohio State just say, you know what, we'll give ourselves a little wiggle room, stuff happens, maybe a kid currently in the class decommits, whatever, kids are academically ineligible, I don't know. We'll go to 18. We'll go to 19. But, man, there might be other five-star kids who really want to push this class to 21 or 22 We just can't do it. Like, is that on the table at all, Ari? I think that would have been on the table last year or in 2015. But the thing that's interesting is that the redshirt situation that caused Ohio State to have backloaded numbers also coincided with the 2017 class, which might be arguably the deepest class that college football has ever seen in terms of high school senior talent. And Ohio State is in a very unique situation because they're at the height of their recruiting prowess, and they've also been nabbing kids that maybe they wouldn't have gotten three years ago. So that is a thing. Stopping at 17 or 18 in a wonderful, perfect world. This year, Ohio State has certain players on their list that they might and will likely get that they simply cannot tell no. And 
that's just the way they've approached it. Um, and, for instance, Trayvon Grimes is a five-star prospect who's announcing in two weeks. He's going to Ohio State. So you can make that 17 already. And they've got eight or nine other guys who are officially visiting in the fall that are falling under the same category. So I don't know if they're going to say, hey, five-star Tyjon Lindsay with 50 scholarship offers. You can take any of those you want. We just don't have room for you. I don't know if I – I haven't seen that happen yet. And they've cooled on some guys that are like four-star. Like I think there's a possibility that the four-star cornerback from Pennsylvania, uh, Lamont Wade, might have been cooled on because he wanted to enroll early, and I don't know if they actually had the physical spots for him to do that. But we're talking about can't-miss Rashawn Gary-like prospects they're still going after right now. And I think there's a certain caliber of prospect that's so can't-miss you have to take him somehow. And and I, what we're trying to illustrate here, I think, is we want to have the discussion that we assume is the same discussion that Ohio State is having every day, right? That Mark Pantone, Ohio State's recruiting guru, and the assistant coaches who are out on the road, and Urban Meyer, who's the guy who has final say on all this, they're doing this math every day. And it's not easy math, and, and, and it's hard. The one thing I think is they have to stop redshirting guys because redshirting guys is one of two things happens. Either the, you're redshirting a good player who's not going to be here anyway for five years, but you are complicating his number on the roster because it's JT Barrett. I know JT Barrett was hurt, but like JT Barrett is the starting quarterback is a great player. You are giving him the option of coming back for a fifth year when he might be too good to stay, right? Mm -hmm. Which is complicating. Well, should we plan for him to stay or plan for him to be gone? How do we play this in trying to plan for the future? Um, Gary on Conley, right? Mm-hmm. Gary on Conley is a class of 2013 guy. So is Tyquan Lewis, isn't it? Tyquan Lewis. If they were, if they were just seniors, we'd have them in the senior category. We, we wouldn't have to play this game. But you are giving them an option to come back. Now, of course you want great players to come back, but it's complicated. The other thing is, if you redshirt a guy and he's not that good, you are giving him the opportunity to come back when he's not really helping your team. So I almost think Ohio State – this is out – am I talking a column out of my head? <laughs> Ohio State should eliminate redshirting. I have no idea how it helps them. And they're ahead in games enough where they don't have – there are games where they could play the entire freshman class on the same field if they wanted to. What is the benefit of redshirting? Now, now – for the player, the different. The, there's one thing. For honestly, for the, this, make this a 30 second different podcast. How does redshirting anybody help Ohio State? Outside of injuries, it doesn't. I mean, injuries you're forced to. Otherwise, I don't know. Especially because, like last year, last year they didn't have a ton of games where you could play the freshman, but that's not really impacting the roster right now. The two seasons before that, did they not have games that were winning by 40 points where they could have played the entire freshman class for 30 seconds? The only scenario I can think of is the Darren Baldwin scenario who came in as a defensive lineman, redshirted for a few year, or for one year, gave him an extra year, and then in his final year of eligibility where he would have been gone, he switched offensive line and was a productive member of their... That's the only example of redshirting in the seven years I've been covering this team that I can remember be, being beneficial. But even so... That's not an, I mean, I, there's no, I agree with you. There's no reason to do it. Elf Lyon is back as a fifth year senior because he redshirted. Um, well, offensive linemen are, they're are so a happy different. I feel like offensive linemen are like, that's not what we're talking about. Because yeah. you have to so totally change your body. You know, I wrote, 
they're in trouble because Michael Jordan is going to start as a true freshman because you're not you're not supposed to be able to do that. You need a year to figure it out. Offensive linemen aside, I have no idea why Ohio State would redshirt anyone because you're either going to be a guy like Jalen Marshall who redshirted and is going to leave as a redshirt sophomore in three years, or you're going to be they someone... They all redshirted last year. Darren Lee redshirted. Yeah, I mean, they, Eli Apple redshirted. I mean, again... The, so you're losing sophomores, but and then but then last year they redshirted tw- only four out of twenty four true freshmen played. It's insane, like and the things they're dealing with now they're going to have to deal with again down the line because they have got their roster is so off kilter. So, uh, and I said I'm, I'm going to be on Urban Meyer on this all year. Why aren't you playing them? Because it's not and it's not about now. It's about roster management. I've, I've talked to Thad Mata on the basketball team about this a lot. Like, I feel like having sort of this is some, like, smoothness to your roster is kind of important. And when you're going huge class, little class, a million guys are in this, what, you end up in situations like this, which is a very complicated situation. And I think a year from now, Ohio State will have 85 scholarship players on the roster. They're not going to have 93. So it will work out. But the thing that why we wanted to talk about this is because it appears at the moment, and to Urban Meyer's credit, I do feel like they have done a good job in terms of they haven't forced gray shirts on kids, it felt like. They have not done wrong by kids, it, to my eye, in their time here. I mean, you hear stories from other schools um, where it feels like that is happening, where a program is doing wrong by a kid because of a numbers crunch. I do not think, in my opinion, that has happened at Ohio State. But this is difficult because it appears at the moment there are two choices. One, make some very difficult decisions with kids currently on the roster. Or two, miss out on some very high-profile recruits that they cannot take and that would for lack of a better word, hurt the program because they don't have room. Is that, I mean, is that in the end as we're kind yeah. of winding and down back here? And track a little bit, it is a misfire on planning, which is why we went on, and that was Doug's word, misfire on planning. It sounds very official. But we talked about redshirting for five minutes because redshirting is a misfire on planning. It is a reason why Ohio State's in this position, and that's the reason why they either, A, have to make some tough decisions and turn away a prospect that they would have really needed and wanted or being wrong in the way they treat a current member of the team. And to be honest, players hate redshirting. It's not like... Torrance Gibson's the perfect example. You you know, Mike Mitchell was a five-star linebacker who left here after one year, uh, Mickey Mitchell's older brother, and maybe he would have left anyway, I don't know. Um, he was from Texas, you know, I think there were... But he didn't play. And especially when you're away from home and you're maybe questioning why am I here and you're not playing, that amplifies every question you have in your head. If you got six snaps at the end of the Bowling Green game and you feel like a real guy and you feel like a real part of the team and you feel like all the work in practice is at least getting you a little something, I think that matters. And so, to which is why the, the Red sh- I almost transferred after my red shirt year story is the most popular fall camp story of all time. I saw a few of them pop up for media day, and it's like, oh, because every single 18-year-old kid on the planet who doesn't play thinks about going home? I played Pop Warner. I couldn't even get through the first wind sprints without thinking about going home. I could not imagine all the things that you'd have to go through at Ohio State and then not play. 
So even if Torrance Gibson, and the reason why I said his name, I think he's the perfect example because I saw a few things about him saying he thought about leaving and going back to Florida. Well, maybe if he would have caught six passes last year in the fourth quarter of a game that they were up by three touchdowns, and he might not have thought that way. Or even if he was like the gunner on punt team in the fourth quarter against Rutgers, maybe that would have, yeah. Prepare for the companion column to this package <laughs> entitled Why Ohio State Should Never Redshirt a Player Again. Um, I didn't know that we were going to decide that, but I think we're on to something yeah. here, aren't we? Yeah. Um, okay, so your math, we hope you have your math spelled yeah. out. Again, Ohio State currently has 16 verbal commitments for 2017. By our math, they have 16 um, spots that could open reasonably. We think they would like to take another five to seven kids to get this current class of 16 players for, for next year up to 21 to 23 players. But just think about it like this. Every time from now on that you read an Ari Wasserman story about Ohio State adding a commitment for 2017, that's somebody that's got to come off this roster. Bill, we have questions from anybody? We do. We have quite a few questions. Um, and uh, we want to do this every week, answering your questions on the podcast, so send them to us on Twitter. Uh, one that kind of folds into what we've been talking about for the last 45 minutes, um, and this can just be a quick yes or no to Ari, um, will Danny Clark be in the 2017 class? Right now I'm saying yes. Okay, that question was from uh, Caddyshack Lou on Twitter. What's up, Caddyshack Lou? Appreciate, appreciate the question. Okay, now some stuff about this, this current season, because I think people want to hear us talk about that. Um, even though this numbers crunch stuff is, is pretty interesting. This question is from at Nikki Rubenstein on Twitter. He says, uh, when, will co- when will the coaching staff admit that Jerome Baker is better and that he should play over Chris Worley? I'll tell you, I mean, I, Jerome Baker popped in the spring, and um, I talked to Jerome Baker a lot at Media Day the other day. I'll have something coming on him. But there's a quote that stands out to me from Luke Fickle when we talked to him, the linebacker's coach, and he mentioned Chris Worley as a guy who's a heart and soul kind of guy. And, you know, it, it would be, uh, it's a mistake by any of us, fans or people covering the team, to think that everything 100% is about size and speed and pursuit angles and tackling or whatever. Uh, Chris Worley has put in his time here. Chris Worley has been a good soldier behind Darren Lee, done everything asked of him. And it's not that he deserves it or that it's a reward. It's that he has proven something to Luke Fickle with the way he has handled his business. And I think that cannot be underrated. And when I heard Luke Fickle say that, I thought to myself, there's no way Chris Worley doesn't have a major part of this defense. I think there's still a chance they could both play, but I think we can't just look at Jerome Baker and think, wow, he's talented. He's going to pass Chris Worley. Because I think Luke Fickle really respects Chris Worley. I agree with all that. Uh, Let's get another one from this Wilbur. At, at Willecki, I apologize if I'm saying your name wrong. He sent us a bunch of questions. Um, and I'll just pick one of them. Dontre Wilson, Curtis Samuel, Mike Weber. Who will be used the most and who will be used the least out of those three? That's a tremendous question. Yeah. Uh, I'll give my answer. I think that, I think in the end, Mike Weber will be used the most. I think he'll get the most touches and Dontre Wilson will have the fewest. I completely agree with that response. I think it's possible that Dontre Wilson touches the ball 12 times total this year. Uh, non-kickoff touches. So I just wrote uh, a large Dontre Wilson story that went up Tuesday morning, and I was reflecting back on uh, over-unders we did a year ago. And this one I 
nailed so hard that you could hang uh, something on it. A Yankee candle on it. <laughs> we did an over-under last year on Dontre Wilson touches before the season. He had um, 39 touches the year before. I think he had 50 as a freshman. And we set the over-under at 15. And both you guys went over. It's, it's ludicrous. That's one per game <laughs> if they go to the playoff. We set it at 15. Both you guys went over. I went under. And I, we, I think we pushed the 15 down in part because I was willing to go so under on it. I went under, and I was so right. It's unbelievable. He had seven touches the whole year. This was a guy who had more yards as a freshman from offensively than Ezekiel Elliott. He had seven touches last year. It is unbelievable. I think he's going to have a role. I think he is my possible breakout guy for this Ooh. year. Completely forgotten. I'm also on the Curtis Samuel bandwagon. So I'm not going to answer the question because I think my answer is, wouldn't, wouldn't really be right. But I think we could see times when Curtis Samuel is on the field as the tailback and Dontre Wilson is on the field as the H-back and Mike Weber's not. So if Mike Weber looks like the guy who's, who's – he's the most tailback-like of those guys. But I think it would be a mistake to think that Dontre Wilson's not going to be potentially a pretty big part of this offense. Okay, we'll do a, a couple more. We have two questions that were kind of similar. Uh, one from uh, Kenny Stabler on Twitter. It's not the actual Ken Stabler. And then one from at Black Stripe Blog. Black Stripe Blog, excuse me. Um, essentially, one of the questions was, will they call more, more or less QB run this year with JT Barrett, and will the staff try to get JT Heisman-type stats? And I think those two things kind of go hand-in-hand hand a little bit. Um, I think JT Barrett is going to run the ball a ton this year. And I was just looking at the numbers he ran the ball 171 times as a full-time starter in 2014, and he played half the time. 2015 is that a fair assessment? He carried it 115 times. So there's not a huge discrepancy in total amount of carries, and there's a pretty big discrepancy in total amount of snaps that he took over the last two years. Uh, I think JT Barrett's going to run the ball a ton, and if he does it effectively, um, I think he, he could potentially be in the Heisman conversation. There's other things that go into it besides quarterback rushing yards. I think total touchdowns is a big thing, and quarterback rating and all that. But I think you see him run a lot, and I think you could see him in the Heisman conversation because of that. I think I potentially 100% disagree with that answer. All right, let's go. Um, I think part of JT Barrett as an effective runner the last two years was because Ezekiel Ezekiel Elliott was his pitch option in the run game. Um, and so even when he kept it, it was because the defense was leaning toward Ezekiel Elliott. I think that will be less effective for JT Barrett this year because it's not Ezekiel Elliott there. And so I think they might call it less. Second thing was when you called straight up quarterback runs for him, his lead blocker was a guy that people cannot stop talking about Ezekiel Elliott's blocking. Um, I don't think anybody on the roster is going to be like that. Say, hey, let's just call a straight QB run, QB sweep and put Mike Weber out in front of him like Ezekiel Elliott was, I don't think that's going to be as effective. I think they want to throw it. I think they're going to throw it. I think he's going to be a point guard. I think there's going to be much more little dip and dunk kind of stuff to other people and less just let JT Barrett run, which is why I think it's possible that like Curtis Samuel and Dontre Wilson could both have big parts of the offense. So I think if I think they don't care about Heisman stats. I think that's nothing. 
yeah. in their consideration. But I think if JT Barrett puts up big numbers, it's going to be more in the pass game and less in the run game. I think if it ends up that their best offensive play is JT Barrett keeping the ball in the run game, whether in the option game or straight QB run, I think they are in trouble. Stay tuned to find out which one of us is completely wrong. It'll probably be me. All right, last question from at Thundershaker on Twitter. This is my favorite question that we received. How would Cardell Jones do in a discus throw? It's Olympic season. Is Cardell Jones meddling in a discus? I don't know if Cardell Jones would be good at spinning. Here, yeah. Um, I think he might be able to pick up a shot put and throw it like a football throw. Because <laughs> shot put is just kind of like step, step, throw. Um, but I would want to see, like, if you think the Usain Bolt, like, lightning bolt celebration yeah. is cool, uh, Cardell Jones would sweep the world with, if he did get a good throw off in whatever it was, discus, shot, or hammer, um, his celebration would be, people would be talking about it in New Zealand. If he did the discus throw, he would keep spinning while it was in the air, right? Just, like, right into the playing field? Yeah. No, I, I would see, I think there could be, like, a lot of, uh, Whatever you call it, when you step over the line in discus. Fault? Yeah. What it's called? I'm assuming. So, yeah, I put a lot of thought into this. Probably too much thought. I don't think he'd be very good at any of the throws in the Olympics because I think it's more about lower body strength than it is arm strength. And I don't know, Cardell Jones is not a man. He's a guy who slings it with his giant arm throwing a football. Um, I don't know if that translates well to the Olympics and, and throwing events in track and field. So I think we can end our podcast with Bill just completely hating on Cardale Jones' Olympic possibilities. Listen, man, you ask the question, we give you the, the answer, and we do the research. We take you there. All right, that's Buckeye Talk. Um, I'm Doug. He's Bill. He's Ari. We hope this sounded better. We went a little long. I'm telling you, man, this roster thing, I think it's something for fans to follow all year. Um, think about it when you read Ari's recruiting stuff. Think about it when you uh, are, are looking at guys who are maybe on the second team and getting time in games. We said this is going to be – there's a fight for starting jobs uh, in this camp and during this season, but there's a fight for playing time because if you are a guy on the edge, not the good way, in the cliche way that whatever they're talking about, but if you're on the edge of like do you sort of deserve a roster spot um, and you're not playing at all, you're not in the too deep um, – then I think you got to maybe wonder about the future. The one thing I want to add, because Doug was wrapping it up, but we were in Chicago for Big Ten Media Day, and I asked Urban Meyer about these topics directly. And if you found this podcast, I also want you to find cleveland.com forward slash OSU because I have a story up right now with Urban Meyer's comments and a little bit more on this topic in written form. I know we mentioned it earlier that there's alternate ways that you can get this information I think this is a lot to handle by listening to. If you want to read something, I encourage you to do that. All right, thanks again for listening. This is Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Check it, yeah. This ain't a fitted song. This a get with it song. You can turn your glitter on, it still ain't gonna push you on the